The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Good morning, church. Um, It's a privilege to be able to share from God's Word today. Um, If you're just joining us, um, we started a series called um, Encounters with Jesus. Um, And we're looking at different encounters that people had with Jesus in the book of John. So last week, Lewis looked at Nathaniel the Skeptic from uh, chapter 1. And today we're going to look at uh, Martha and Mary's encounter with Jesus following the death of Lazarus um, in John chapter 11. And today the, the big question we're looking at is, is in, in essence, what is wrong with the world? You know, anyone that's lived in this world can see that something is drastically wrong. Something has gone awry um, in our world. And the sub-question and arguably the more important question that flows from there is, well, what's the solution to that issue? <clears throat> and so I, wanna, I wonder what many of you would say if someone asked you that. If someone came to you and said, you know, what, what's wrong with the world and why, what's our solution? How would you answer that? Maybe for some of us here today, we, we sit and we see, <clears throat> sorry, we see, um, we see, you know, child exploitation. We see slavery. We see domestic violence and schoolyard shootings. And maybe we, we sit there and we think, you know, is there really a solution that can be possible? We see our loved ones who are healthy one moment, struck down with cancer and given months to live. Young children, orphaned because parents are taken away by sickness. What's your answer to that question, that solution? What's your solution to that question? I want to suggest that maybe some of you today, maybe if you're not a believer, you might have a different worldview from a different religion or uh, maybe you believe in an evolutionistic worldview and maybe you just see it as, oh, it's the survival of the fittest and um, we just have to accept it. But I think many of us will be able to resonate with the fact that we just can't accept that. That when we go through hardships and trials, it's not easy for us just to be like, oh, it's just part of life. Let me just accept it and move on. We resonate that something is deeply wrong here, that something is deeply wrong within our world. And so today, I want us to see what the Christian worldview has to say about that issue, what the Christian solution to that issue is. See, the Christian worldview recognizes that the root cause of all suffering and pain and sickness ultimately is sin. God created the world perfectly, but when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, sin entered the world and the world fractured. And so any solution that we have to this question needs to address that heart issue, needs to address that core issue that continues to perpetuate pain and suffering in this world. And today I want us to see that the answer to that question is not in a system of principles or even in rules or education or anything like that. Our watertight solution is found in a person, a person of Jesus Christ himself. And so today we're going to look at two big points. We're going to look at the person of Jesus, in particular two aspects of his identity. And then we're going to look at Jesus' purpose on earth and why together they address the root cause and the root problem with what is wrong with our world. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to John chapter 11, uh, verses 17 to 44. I'm in Luke. That's not right. (laughs) Great start. John chapter 11, verses 17 to 44. 
I'm reading from the uh, NIV version. It'll be on the screen as well. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary... When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's interesting that Martha and Mary say the exact same words to Jesus when they meet him. But Jesus' response to them is drastically different in both situations. And the significance of that, as we're going to see, is that the combination of what it shows is that it shows that Jesus is both divine, he's both God, but also human. It shows his divinity and his humanity. And that's exactly where we're going to find the answer to our question of what is wrong with the world. So how about I pray, um, and then we can dive straight into it. Father God, we, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, for, for coming to this earth and to, for teaching us and showing us all these great things, Father. And we pray as we explore this further today, Lord God, that you'd open up our hearts to see the truth in your word, Lord God. Guard my my words and, and, and my heart as I speak as well, Lord God, that you may be glorified in all things. So Father, we praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's picture it, right? Lazarus has died and Martha and Mary are weeping. And Martha comes to Jesus. And in verse 21, we, we see her say, you know, 
if you were here, he wouldn't have died. But I know that God can, you know, give you whatever you ask if you were to ask him. And the first thing that we've got to realize here is that Martha is missing something in her understanding of who Jesus is at the present time. She has failed to recognize Jesus as part of the Trinity. He's God, he's deity, he's divine. See, she says that if he asks God, God will give it to him as if he has some kind of special relationship. Maybe she recognizes he has a special connection, but she doesn't recognize that he is God himself. Now we need to pause for a moment and firstly understand the context in which Martha would have heard Jesus' words and the story that unfolds and the context that surrounds it. See, at the time, the Jewish people would have believed in a resurrection on the last day. In the Old Testament, there are multiple references to that. Job 19, for example, says that when his skin has been destroyed, in other words, when it's rotted and um, he's been long dead, he will still see God in his flesh. In other words, a bodily resurrection. Not only that, but in the Old Testament as well, God is the the source and the giver of life. Genesis 2, when God creates Adam and he makes his body, it says, verse 7 says, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And, and Job 33, 4 says similar thing. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty One gives me life. And so when Jesus comes in now and speaks to Martha um, in that moment and claims that he is the resurrection and the life, that would have been astounding for Martha to hear. Because what, in essence, Jesus is saying is that I'm not a top quality prophet. I'm not a great rabbi only. I'm not just a great leader. I am, according to the very law of God, I am God. He's making an unequivocal claim to this. He's thrusting himself into the center of a belief in resurrection at all. Jesus responds to her by saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. That it's not that the Father gives it to me. I am it. I'm the source of it. Jesus is claimed to be the source of resurrection and life. And accordingly, without him, Jesus is saying that there cannot be resurrection and there cannot be life at all. And so what's the implication from that? Well, for Martha, it would have given her hope to start with. Here she was faced with the grief of losing her brother, and she's completely distraught in tears. And Jesus gives her what we would call, what some people have termed, the ministry of truth. It's what she needs the most. He he steps into her pain, into her suffering, and he says to her, don't despair. I am here. I'm resurrection and life. That's what I am. And it's the same for us. When we face hardships of various kinds, we can anchor our restless and turbulent hearts and minds in Jesus because he is the author of life itself. We can ground ourselves in the truth of who he is and the promises we find in his word. But not just that. Jesus is not just an ordinary person. He's God. How many, I don't know how many of us maybe have had the experience where we're struggling with something and we come to a friend to share and they're just not able to help us the way we need. Maybe they can't be there at the time that we need or they don't have the right words to say when we want them to say things. But Jesus is not like that. Jesus isn't a frail, finite human being like we are. He's almighty God, the one who holds the world in the palm of his hands. And so we can be anchored in him, trusting that he is working all situations out according to his plans for our good and for his glory, ultimately. So we can trust that because Jesus is God, we have that sure foundation and that place to anchor our restless and turbulent minds. 
But then we meet the second, we go to the second encounter with, with Mary. Mary comes rushing to Jesus. And those who are, who are with her, who are grieving with her, comes out with her. And Jesus sees them and he, he's deeply moved and troubled. In fact, in verse 35, it says that Jesus weeps. Now, we've established through the encounter with Martha that Jesus is fully God. And you'd think that if Jesus was fully God and he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why does he weep? Why is he so emotionally affected by this situation? Why doesn't he just say to Mary, look, I've just explained it to Martha. Go have a, go have a chat to her. Why doesn't he do that? Well, the answer is because Jesus is more in touch with the human condition than to give simplistic, unthought out, pat answers to our pain and suffering. When Jesus sees Mary, he empathizes with her pain. And in it, we can see that whilst, yes, he is fully God, as we've seen, he's also fully man. He's also experiencing the the troubles, the ups and downs of the human condition. And he feels the horrific power and grief and sorrow of the pain and suffering that this world presents. I wonder, many of you may have seen um, end of March, about a month ago, um, there was this big uproar about the Australian cricket team. Um, and there was this incident where the captain, vice captain and, and senior player or another player had decided to, to tamper with the cricket ball in a, in a match in South Africa. And there was a whole, a whole lot of uproar. I mean, here's the, the captain of the Australian cricket team admitting to cheating. You know, some people say that the captain of the Australian cricket team is the second highest job in the country behind the prime minister. I mean, I don't know whether you agree with that or not, but some people say that. <laughs> some people say it's high, yeah. But here he is admitting to cheating. And one by one, they come out, they give their press conferences and they're holding back the tears as they say, yes, I cheated, I did wrong. And then we get to Steve Smith in particular, who's the captain. And he, he's saying, yeah, I did wrong, I cheated. And he gets to a point where he, he re- has to recognize the pain and hurt he's caused his, caused his family. And in that moment, he completely loses it. As he apologizes to his family and recognizes the hurt, he loses it. But what we see, which is really amazing in that moment, is that his father, Peter, steps into the frame of the camera and next to his son and places his hand on his son's shoulder. His father, Peter, is empathizing with his son's pain and places his hand on his shoulder for support. And it's sort of like that here. Jesus is looking at the pain and grief of those that are there and he feels their pain and their sorrow too. But he does more than just place a hand on their shoulder. Instead, he wears his, his heart on his sleeve as he just weeps in their presence unashamedly. What an amazing sight. He is the divine God, the, the, the deity and, and, and God incarnate. He's standing there, almighty God, creator, but he's weeping. And we can see that almighty God, divinity, here is coupled and joined with human vulnerability because he understands and empathizes. And so for us, when we look at that, it ought to give us um, courage and hope because we know that Jesus can empathize with our pain and our suffering too, like he did to Mary and those around him. Around her. See, Jesus understands what it's like to be ridiculed for your faith. Jesus understands what it's like to lose a close friend or family member as they pass away from disease or whatever else it may be. He empathizes with the pain we feel when our family breaks apart. Jesus is our comforter. And being fully human, it enables him to give us what we would call the ministry of tears sometimes, to weep and to grieve with us in our pain and suffering. We can cry to him 
and just express and say, God, this sucks. This hurts. And he understands fully, not just in a head level, but in an empathetic heart, real, real way. And this is what gives Jesus overwhelming beauty. You see, sometimes we need what Martha got. We need the ministry of truth. But other times we need the ministry of tears. And it's only Jesus that can give you exactly what you need right when you need it most. Because he's the one that knows truly what you need. How often, maybe you've heard stories, I've heard some stories too, where a loved one passes away and a, and a well-meaning friend comes to that person, the person who's, you know, a spouse who, who's just lost a loved one and they just pat him on the shoulder and they just say, it's all right, mate, they're in a better place, you'll see him soon. How unempathetic, how, it's, it's true, yeah, maybe, but how unloving, how ungentle, untender is that? They, they just come and give the ministry of truth without really caring or, or empathising. It's really annoying, isn't it? But see, Jesus is never like that. Jesus is never tender and soft when he ought to be strong and, and tell us the truth. And Jesus never comes um, brashly into um, and get engaging with us and gives us truth when, when he ought to just be tender and, and, and empathise with our pain and our suffering. And so, yes, Jesus is God incarnate. He's both deity and he's both human. But what does that have to do with um, the question of what's wrong with the world? We've looked at Jesus' person, the two aspects of his identity. And so now we're going to move into looking at that, taking that understanding and seeing why he alone is the only true solution to the pain and suffering of this world at large. See, for Jesus to bring a solution to the problems in this world, Jesus has to do something with a root cause, which we said at the start. Namely, he's got to deal with sin. Because when sin entered the world, the physical world became fractured. And that's why we have pain, suffering, sicknesses, illnesses, all of that now. And so Jesus needs to deal with that. Now, some of you may ask, why doesn't Jesus just come and just take it away? Maybe people have come and asked you that. Why doesn't he just come and take away our pain and suffering? Why doesn't he just get rid of it like that? The common argument that many people have is, you know, God can't be all loving and all powerful. He's either all loving but powerless to stop pain and suffering, or he's all powerful but chooses not to stop pain and suffering, and therefore he cannot be all loving. And I'm sure you've heard that, that, that statement to yourself. But friends, we, when we ask that question, when we think that way, we misunderstand what we're asking. Because if Jesus was to come and get rid of every pain and suffering completely, he'd have to get rid of the root cause. He'd have to deal with sin. And so if Jesus came wielding the wrath of God, getting rid of everything that's been stained by sin, that would include you and I. No one would be left to tell the tale of what Jesus did because we would not be spared that wrath. Because we are so corrupted by sin as a result of the fall from the Garden of Eden. And so as hard as it may be for us to hear, it's actually because God loves us that he didn't just come and just wipe it all away in one swoop. But instead, he did have another plan. He had another plan to deal with sin and the power it had over humanity. And we see that unfolding from verse 38 onwards. Jesus gets to the tomb of Lazarus now. And again, it says he's deeply moved and troubled. And most biblical scholars will tell you that in that context, it's actually the, the, that phrase, moved and troubled, doesn't mean just like a sadness. It means more of an anger and a, and a rage. He's standing and he's facing the ultimate consequence of sin, death itself. 
See, this is not how the world was supposed to be. God created a world free of pain and suffering, but now because of sin, death is the reality for all humans. It's part of our human condition. And Jesus knew there was only one way to fix it. If he was to raise Lazarus from the grave, if he was to call Lazarus out of the grave, he would need to put himself into the grave. In order to deal with the sin issue of the world, Jesus would need to go to the cross and bear the judgment and the punishment that we deserved. See, we needed a Savior who could truly represent us, who was truly human. We needed a Savior who could genuinely be tempted by sin and still resist and remain sinless. We needed a Savior who could perfectly fulfill all the requirements of the Old Testament law. And we needed that Savior to die for us, to take our punishment, our, um, I guess, the, the, the punishment that was ours, and take it to the cross. And that's what Jesus did. And that's why it's also so important for us to recognize that He is both God and He is both God as well human. See, if Jesus was not fully God, he would not be able to absorb the infinite amount of wrath and punishment that was due unto us. And if he wasn't fully human, then he wouldn't be able to truly live the life and die the death that we deserved and that we should have lived. And ultimately, he wouldn't have been able to be resurrected um, in, in, as the first fruits for us. See, Jesus was the only one who could truly Represent us. He was the only savior that we could ever need. Now, some of you may have heard of um, an author by the name of Dorothy Sayers. Uh, she was a detective fiction writer, um, and she was one of the first women to study at Oxford University. And she wrote a, a book series called The Lord Peter Whimsy Stories, which featured a character called Lord Peter, who was a single, lonely man, and he, and he was a detective fighting... Um, crime and solving mysteries. And in the middle of the series, a mysterious woman by the name of Harriet Vane enters the fold. And she's a writer of detective fiction as well. She's also one of the, one of the first women to go to Oxford in the story. And she appears in the middle of the, the series and they get married. Lord Peter and Harriet Vane get married. They live happily ever after. They solve mysteries together. And it was great. Now, some people look at that and they say that Dorothy Sayers looked at the story she created and she saw Peter's loneliness, saw his pain, his hardships, his sufferings, and she wrote herself into the story. And friends, that's exactly what God has done too. He saw the perfect world that he created, now fractured and broken. He saw the sinless world he created, now being corrupted by sin in every corner of the world. And he saw his, the people he created who were made to be in loving union with him, now turning away from him and preferring the idols of their heart. And so he wrote himself, he wrote himself into the narrative of human history. Jesus Christ, the God-man, here to die and pay the price for our sin, to create a way ultimately for us to be free from the, the power and the curse of sin and ultimately pain and suffering as well. Church, don't, don't be mistaken. One day Jesus is going to come back and pain and suffering is going to be removed and it's never going to affect humanity ever again. Revelation tells us that, Revelation 21 tells us that when he comes, all suffering and brokenness will be removed completely. 
He's not going to come bearing nails in his hands again. He's going to come bearing the sword of God's judgment. But until then, when we still feel the broken, the hurt of broken relationships, when we feel the pain of losing someone close to us, when we face sufferings of various kinds, we can remember the person of Jesus. He is our hope and our solution. He has made a way to fix this world. He has voluntarily taken upon himself to fix the problem that we created. See, humans, we are the ones that perpetuate sin a lot of the time. We do evil to each other sometimes. And Jesus took it upon himself to create a solution for that. How amazing is that? Now, to those of us who maybe are here today and maybe you're not a believer yet, maybe you're on this journey or maybe you're here because a friend brought you here or whatever reason you might be here, I want to invite you to engage with this issue today. I want you to consider the pain and suffering in this world. And I want you to consider all the potential solutions to these problems. Are they foolproof? Do they address the root cause of pain and suffering in our world? Or are we maybe just too satisfied with the fact that maybe nothing will ever be perfect again? Do we, do we, do we buy into that? Do we believe that perfection is just a, a fairy tale? If that's you today, I want to encourage you to consider what we've discussed. Jesus came to create a solution to our pain and suffering. He came, he died on the cross. He took the punishment our sins deserved so that we can be restored to right relationship with him. And so that one day when Jesus does come again, when he does remove all pain and suffering, all sin, all hurt, when he does do that, we may be spared God's wrath. Instead, we may be taken to spend eternity. We're we're here for 70 years, 80 years maybe. We can spend eternity with him in a world that's free of pain and suffering. Jesus created the only way. And so as we kind of come to a close now, I want to encourage all of us to spend a bit of time reflecting. What is it that you're struggling with right now? Maybe there's a specific issue or a situation that's getting you down, that's making you weary. Or maybe you're facing persecution for your faith in whatever sphere you're in. Whatever it is, I want us to come before God for a few minutes now and just talk to Him about it. What is it that we need right now? What is it that you need? Maybe you need to be reminded of the truth. Maybe you need to be reminded of God's power and the promises in His Word and and what He says about our situations about life now. Or maybe we just need to experience the comfort and the empathy of Jesus. Maybe we just need to come before Him and just cry and say, God, this hurts. And just vent and just share our, our pain with Him. Because whatever we need, Jesus knows exactly what you need in the moment and place that you are. And so how about we take a couple of moments just to pray before I close in prayer.
Father God, we, Lord, we need you. Every moment, every hour of the day, we need you. Lord God, whether we're right now experiencing the depths and the pain and the hurt of this human condition, the, the life that we live, or whether we're experiencing great joy, Lord God, we, we need you because we know that this world is fraught with all kinds of dangers, all kinds of hurts and, and, and brokenness. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see that you are the only lasting solution. Lord God, everything else is temporary. Everything else is momentary at best, Lord God. But you are the only one that's provided a way for ultimate freedom from pain and suffering. You've created a way for us to now have an eternity which is free of pain and suffering. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to look to you, Lord God, in the midst of our pain and suffering, in the midst of where we are. Lord Jesus, help us to, to love you and help to come to you and to express our hurt and to be ready to, to, to either be lent a, a comforting shoulder to cry on or to be told and reminded of the truth and given that hope that we need. Jesus, you are all that we need. Lord God, we have no life. There is no life apart from you. So God, we want to come before you. And Lord God, we ask that you would draw us to yourself. Help us to see your beauty, Lord Jesus. And Lord God, we surrender into your hands, Lord God. And we pray that you'd help us to cling to you for our daily bread each and every morning, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Anuj. Wow. How stirring was that? How about we take a stand, church? As we continue to reflect on the wonder and the beauty of Jesus, the one who knows us best and loves us most, how about we just respond just by worshiping? And as we close, if you would like prayer for anything, please, please don't hesitate. Come forward. We'll have to stand with you. We'll have to pray with you. Allow Jesus to minister to you. If you need the ministry of truth, you'll receive that in Him. If you need the ministry of tears, you'll receive that in Him. Come on, church, let's, let's respond to Him in song. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Jesus. And I see. And I see my Savior. Jesus. With love in his eyes, his body broken, Jesus, with no sin to.